You are listening to Down Home. A while back, I had to pick up a package at my local Canada post office, which is located in a large pharmacy in my neighborhood. There was a lineup, as there always seems to be in these pandemic times we have been living through. As I settled into the back of the line, I noticed that one of the two postal workers was approaching the people at the front of the line and collecting tag numbers so she could search in the back for packages. I thought this was fantastic. An efficient way of dealing with the lineup. By the time people got to the front, the packages were there waiting for them. So I got my tag ready for the postal worker to scan, but the worker stopped with the person in front of me, then just stood next to her co-worker behind the postal counter. I didn't think much of this, but it just so happened that I was picking up a prescription that I had to wait for in the next aisle. When I left the post office counter and headed to the pharmacy counter, the postal worker came from behind her station and started the time-saving practice of scanning ahead. Did that just happen? I was the only black person in line, but am I reading too much into this situation? Maybe, if it was an isolated incident, but I can recall a lot of situations like this, too many to count. These microaggressions happen at work, in stores, or when we simply walk down the street, and they have a compounding effect in the lives of black people. Jay and I have been exploring this concept in a roundabout way in the podcast, This episode, we want to give voice to the trauma and highlight the mindset to move beyond it. Our conversation this week is with Camilla Clayton, a registered social worker and psychotherapist with over 10 years of experience. Camilla uses an identity-affirming approach to mental health and wellness for people of African descent. She specializes in anxiety, depression, stress, and racial identity. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have Mr. Jay Jones. What's happening? And our guest this week is clinical social worker and therapist Camilla Clayton. Camilla, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you both. Yeah, That's thanks great. for coming for sure. Yeah, it's great. Now, the... Um, Part of the reason why why we had you on, like the 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 racial reckoning back in uh, the summer of two, 2020, there were a lot of terms that uh, have come into wide use when talking about racial trauma. But before we start, actually, uh, what is what is racial trauma for those of our listeners that don't actually know? Yeah, so racial trauma, and I'll give you like the definition, then I'll expand on it because it'll make sense um, that way, I think. Um, It's race-based stress as a result of experiencing real or perceived racial discrimination. So those moments where you are walking into a store and you feel like there are eyes on you, those moments where you get onto an elevator and somebody that's not Black gets on and you automatically feel this tenseness or their response to you or how they take up space with you feels really uncomfortable. Although it may not be um, the intention of the person that you're in space with, 
to cause harm. You may experience it as racial harm. And a part of that is because so much of our history has, um, you know, offered these traumatic experiences or has been filled with these traumatic experiences. And so we are already walking around with these racial wounds. And so there's just additional pieces and experiences that are adding or causing or inflicting the trauma. And I hope that makes sense for listeners. Yeah, that's that's a, a very complete definition. Now, now building on that, um, what is your your take on some of these other terms that have popped up, like uh, like racial microaggressions and like collective trauma? So b- before I get there, I actually want to say that, like, I appreciate this question, but. Um, you know, we know as Black people that we have been embodying these experiences forever. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, you know, all of the terminologies that have come up in the last year, I think, or have come to popularity in the last year, we have been embodying for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so the racial microaggressions are just those everyday slights that happen that are adding to this already sort of um, compounding experience of trauma. And while we may not even interpret them as racist or as having impact, they can all accumulate and lead to really significant um, mental health breakdowns, emotional breakdowns. Um, and so they're just those small everyday slights that happen to us as Black people mm-hmm. that accumulate and can lead to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collective trauma is the trauma that we, you know, experience as a community. And while our experiences of trauma may feel really individualized, and so we often feel isolated in those experiences, things like the murder of George Floyd. And for me, when when um, George Floyd was murdered, it immediately took me back to Trayvon Martin when Trayvon Martin was murdered. There's a way that our community just sort of felt that hurt, even though Trayvon wasn't our child, he wasn't our brother. We also felt it for um, all of the other people that have been murdered since that time. But in particular, um, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey, oh my gosh, names are escaping me right now. Mm-hmm. Breonna Miller, like mm-hmm. all of the sort of names that have become a part of our lexicon, hashtags, a part of our, you know, community and our understanding of this experience over the last 18 months, they are, um, uh, uh, I, I think, sort of pulling us together in a way that we understand this trauma as not being, um, ha- or occurring in isolation, it's happening to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, well, yeah, we, part of the reason why this this podcast is going is uh going on is because of what happened in um you know early 2020 and and the uh the trauma that we felt and we were trying to voice Mm -hmm. and it was this is part of our our um way of dealing with that definitely now not talking about that these are there there were instances like that that i can think of going way back and that my 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 grandmother and my mother talking about and in the like the 70s, 60s and 70s. And, and one of the, one particular incident is, uh, is what happened in Africville in Halifax, which is the, uh, the displacement of that, that community. Um, how does that type of trauma permeate from generation to generation? Is, is, that, is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a really amazing book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome that talks about one of the ways or a few of the ways that generation, um, intergenerational trauma happens. And it is in the maladaptive or the, the behaviors that we adapted 
during the period of our enslavement that made sense and kept us safe during that time. But as you move forward, they, they don't really make sense for um, you know, who we are and how we take up space right now, but they absolutely kept us safe historically. Mm-hmm. So there's an example in the book of um, you know, a mother, a black mother and a white mother talking, and the black mother is um, actually talking down their child and criti- criticizing them and really speaking negatively about them. And when you look uh, back at what that would have meant in history, that was a way for mothers to protect their daughters so that they weren't, you know, you speak negatively about your child and they weren't, um, you would hope that they weren't seen as, you know, objects of desire or as being useful in some way so that they weren't then um, abused by enslavers. So made sense back then, kept our children safe, or at least that was the goal. Now it doesn't make any sense for where we are at in our history, but parents still do it. And this is one of the ways that um, intergenerational trauma and behavior has been passed down through the generations. But we also pass it down through stories, right? So like narratives and stories are so important to who we are, but the stories that we tell about our history are often told through a lens of whiteness. And it doesn't talk about us in a really positive way. So we pass on the trauma through our stories. Mm through our parenting styles, through our behaviors. We don't necessarily pass on the joy and the liberation and all of the other things that will help to buffer that. Yeah, finding that balance in those feelings, you know, being in between. Um, Now, since Derek and I have been doing this podcast, like the journey that I took personally was really looking how how systemic racism really exists. Like I never really looked at it in the lens that I'm looking at it now because just taking this journey of, you know, opening my eyes to the collective trauma that we we often carry and um, how can we stem the tide of, of racial trauma when it does exist so systemically? One of the things that I'm a huge advocate for is, you know, doing for ourselves, knowing for ourselves, speaking for ourselves. And so adopting an African centered mindset that will allow us to disrupt um, the way that we understand our existence in this world. So as I you know, was kind of talking about earlier, so much of how we see ourselves is through a lens of whiteness and it's very deficit focused. Um, so the beginning or the starting point for me is adopting a different mindset about how we see ourselves as black people. So seeing ourselves as a part of a global community, not, um, you know, not having these divisions that we have. So I don't know if you would have experienced this, but growing up as a Jamaican, child, there were these huge division divisions between like Jamaicans and everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. These are really minute and frivolous things in the greater context because we all experience life as Black people. We are treated as Black when we come in contact with these systems. So we actually, I think, need to adopt a different mindset. Um, and Audre Lorde has that quote, you can't use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Mm-hmm. So shifting the mindset and then challenging and disrupting as collectives, knowing that we have so much to gain when we do it as a group or as a community than as we do as individuals. But we can't do it using the master's tools. We have to use our own. Right. 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 A lot of, uh, a lo- yeah, it's uh, 
also on the journey, looking back and looking back at the strength of community and pride uh, has kind of sparked an awakening for, for me personally, like going, oh, I, I, I see the goodness that I was attached to even through all the chaos, which, you know, broke off in different ways, like concerning my family, just based on racial trauma and and because collectively it all comes together and we I find you know, sometimes you can travel in those cycles, you know, of just seeing it all at once all the time. And it's like, how do you break it? So thanks for answering that. Cause that's just a really good kind of thing that connects both worlds, personal and, you know, systemic. Um, so how do you think as uh, BIPOC Canadians, we can uh, reconcile or even heal from this racial trauma? Ooh, so, <laughs> <laughs> rub this word BIPOC a little bit because okay. I think that and I appreciate why people use it, it, it you know it makes sense um, but as black people our experience is so different mm-hmm. and we have to do this work for ourselves it doesn't mean that we can't act as allies to other communities but we have to do this work for ourselves so it starts with actually being able to name um, who we are so I refer to myself as sometimes a black woman sometimes a person of African descent but I always um, sort of reference a core set of values. So I often, you'll hear me talking about the Nguzo Saba or the seven principles of Kwanzaa. And a part of our healing is attached to reclaiming our traditional values. So I'm gonna show you, um, this is like a, a fixture and your listeners can't see it, but this is a fixture in my office, it's a Sankofa. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Sankofa? Yes, we've had a, a guest on, a survivor from the um, the colored home for Nova Scotia Color Home for Children, um, and they're uh, the group that they put together to deal with what happened to them in that home was adopting the Sankofa. Mm-hmm. So yes, yes, we we were aware of it. Yeah, definitely. yeah, and it and it became such a form of empowerment for those that f- felt felt they couldn't really speak, right? But you know, you had this symbol of togetherness in this piece where you could just speak your piece yeah our history is so rich and it is made richer when we tell it for ourselves to ourselves and when we pass it on and so this idea of the sankofa going back and fetching it our history um not in the way that it was written in our elementary and high school history books is so important to the healing journey because it allows us to tell our own stories but also create the journey forward through an African-centered lens, not through whiteness. Um, And so, yeah, like in my work, I often will lean on the Sankofa or bring in the seven principles or even the principle of Ubuntu. I am because we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understanding that we have a collective responsibility to one another and what that looks like may feel very different depending on where you are. And, you know, sometimes you're up here and you're able to influence. Sometimes you're here and you're not able to influence. But together there's balance. Mm -hmm. And so working as a community is so important to our healing. Definitely. It's um, the celebration of our blackness. Um, This is one thing that uh, I think we in this podcast are trying to push out there that we are celebrating our blackness doesn't mean that we're blaming or or um actually trying to put wrong on other people we're celebrating ourselves we're celebrating our community right um and even some of the words that we might say now and then like talking about um 
I was listening to a podcast and I was talking to Jay about it. And um, at the end of the podcast, there was a gentleman that, that uh, said that, um, you know, our, com our, our community swims in the ocean of white supremacy. And I thought, I thought about that concept and it's, it's the, the word white supremacy is so loaded, but it's not, it's, it's a true, it's a, it's our truth. Right. Yeah. And saying that doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we're needling anybody just because the word's so loaded. And when you, when you hear it, you think about like a, uh, someone with a shaved head and Doc Martens on, that's not what that means though. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? It, it just means that um, we're swimming in an atmosphere that is not sensitive to our cultural needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sorry, D yeah. It's like, we've literally for all this time for generations and generations have become victims of the system. There's no more truer thing, especially when it's ensconced in law and, and all the different systemic issues that we face. It's like, it's like, you know, how can we, yeah, it's, it's, how can we reconcile that, that feeling of being different other than looking at the empowerment of what our culture stands for, you know? Well, I think yeah. Camilla has it right. Like, like celebrating and celebrating our, ourselves and our community. Well, sorry, Camilla, I'm not to speak for you. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're, um, you know, just reiterating, I think what we all are feeling collectively, this is collective. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, and collective recognition of who we are as African descended people. But this idea of swimming in an ocean of white supremacy is just so profound because not only are we swimming in an ocean of white supremacy, we are getting gold medals in the performance, <laughs> right? So <clears throat> this idea even of black excellence, and I know, like I think that there is so much value in striving for something big in your life and you know goals allow you to create a path for yourself but this idea of white or excuse me black excellence is steeped in whiteness it's saying you can only be great if you are following this really narrow path to becoming a professional what if i don't want to go to university mm -hmm. i mean i had to i grew up in a jamaican home i had to but what if I didn't want to go to university? What if I wanted to get into a trade? What if I wanted to explore my creative side and become an artist, right? We don't create space for expansive thinking and being when we focus so narrowly through a lens of whiteness in terms of how we create success for ourselves in this life. And so that's why we need to think differently. We need to think through a framework that honors who we are as people and the fact that we have the ability to be anything in this world. Mm -hmm. that's uh very powerful thank you very much it's uh we we needed to have someone on our podcast that can give a voice to some of the issues that we've been talking about over the the last 26 episodes and i think we've gotten to a point where we're sorry congratulations by the way 26 episodes is a lot <laughs> it is it's um yeah. it's been a journey for sure um and it's just beginning Thank God. But um, I think you, you know, we've been able to, you've been able to kind of narrow and, and bring the focus down to a succinct point, which is great. It's great. Jay Jones, why don't you take us out? 
Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your wisdom and your experience of the things that you deal with day to day. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're just trying to, and like D said as well, we're just trying to, you know, have these open conversations because they, you know, they touch on a soulful level, which I think is important because I think that sometimes can be an important way with what, how we see ourselves as well. It's what, you know, it's what I'm experiencing and, touching and pushing those buttons to see myself differently, you know, being different than the sum of the whole that we've been taught because, you know, we're more than that. And uh, thank you for pointing that out to, for us to celebrate our, our togetherness and our community and our, and our blackness. It's something we really need to see. Yeah. Thanks again. I want to offer um, a quote. So uh, I didn't, I guess, share anything about who I am or what I'm doing. And that's okay, because I actually don't like that part of any presentation or any conversation. But um, I am a student and I'm doing a lot of work or uh, reading on Afrocentric perspectives. And I found this quote that so succinctly, I think, sums up what we're trying to talk about or what we have been talking about here. Um, as Karenga wrote, a people whose paradigms of thought or, pra or practice are borrowed from its oppressor clearly have limited human possibilities. Creativity and transformation are available only when the individual is connected to his or her authenticity. Like, yeah, so, wow, <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah, that's wow. that's that's mind mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you again. That's awesome. Yes. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, my gex. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep. No time to sleep as you reach your next phase, laying it all on the line. New trail start to blaze. It's a fire inside. The song Breaking New Ground from the breakdown. Boy, just kicking it live, a connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed, only to see the perfect blend like a diamond in the rough, ready to drop a